When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. Our colleague Noel continues to do his duty. D-O-O-D-Y. You're Matt. They call me Ben. We're joined again with our guest super producer, Max White Pants Williams. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. That makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. A rare two-parter because there are many, 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 many things that we have to get to, Matt, uh, as we're talking about off air. Uh, perhaps the most important thing here, folks, is please listen to our earlier episode, part one on Project for a New American Century. And Matt, what what better way to uh, start off than to give maybe a quick recap and a shout out to some of the articles that we have been reading from from the early 2000s. Well, from 2000. Oh, yeah. Let's start by giving you, how about a description of the project from the New American Century written by Thomas Donnelly, Donald Kagan, and Gary Schmidt, some of the founders of the organization. This is from Rebuilding America's Defenses, published in September 2000. Quote, Established in the spring of 1997, the Project for the New American Century is a nonprofit educational organization whose goal is to promote American global leadership. It's an initiative of the New Citizenship Project. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is, but here's the here's the major quote from that that uh, section. As the 20th century draws to a close, the United States stands as the world's most preeminent power. Having led the West to victory in the Cold War, America faces an opportunity and a challenge. Does the United States have the vision to build upon the achievement of past decades? Does the United States have the resolve to shape a new century favorable to American principles and interests? That's what this paper is about, answering those questions. And uh, that is the Project for a New American Century. It's a think tank for people who are really all about defense and an ideological, powerful America that kind of is the police force of the world. Here are the facts. So brief recap back in back in the late 90s, uh, the Project for a New American Century was started as a way to push this vision you're describing that out into the world and take it from the realm of academia and theory into actual on the ground policy. Uh, this was something that found a great deal of support, especially in conservative circles of American politics. Uh, it also came about 
as a culmination of fears and concerns that date back well before what we call the Cold War. There is a long narrative thread here. And as we mentioned at the close of part one, uh, we are going to talk as objectively as possible about the events of September 11th, 2001, terrorist attacks on the United States. The conventional explanation for U.S. action after 9/11, and we're gonna we're gonna spend a lot of time on the aftermath here. Uh, the conventional explanation it goes something like this: After the twin towers are hit in New York, after the attack on DC, retaliation against Al Qaeda bases in Afghanistan was seen as a, a, an immediate step, but only a first step in a, a staircase really, uh, a global war against terrorism. Now, the United States, for some time, has been fascinated with the concept of waging a war on ideas, a war on drugs, a war on poverty, very short-lived. It didn't test well with the base. Uh, and then, of course, a war on terrorism. And you, you mentioned, Matt, earlier in part one, the idea of weapons of mass destruction, the infamous moment wherein Colin Powell testifies that there is yellow cake uranium uh, controlled by the Saddam Hussein regime in Iraq. Uh, this also gets support from the United Kingdom. They co-sign these statements. And Don't forget the aluminum tubes. Oh, the aluminum tubes. Yeah, you know what? The aluminum tubes everywhere. <laughs> and, uh, and shout out to some great most deaf Dave Chappelle sketches uh, mm -hmm. about this as well. So the idea was that, yes, the base of America, the American public, is incredibly freaked out. This is horrific. They want someone to fight. There needs to be justice done. A very valid, very reasonable reaction. And the PNAC says, this is our opportunity. This is what we were talking about. This is our stepping stone. It's our door into further action abroad in Iraq. Well, be, because remember, their aims all along have been to increase defense spending overall within the United States budget mm -hmm. to to make sure the United States is the most powerful weaponized country that can dominate every battleground they are met in. Right. The land, the sea, the air and even space is what they're advocating for at this time. And right before and immediately following the attacks. Mm -hmm. And by this time, in the aftermath of the attacks, uh, large principal characters in the PNAC are in positions of power to make those decisions, to enact the theories that they have spent so much time ideating upon. To this, to this day, right now, uh, you can look back at various statements that did not age well. The idea that invading Iraq was a natural response to the attacks, despite the fact that the hijackers were Saudi Arabian in origin, despite the fact that Al-Qaeda is not located in Iraq. Uh, and people, are say, people were saying, you know, this theory, this A to Z that you're writing out in this narrative, it simply doesn't add up. And a lot of people who raised their voices at that time were excoriated for saying this. And to this day, more than two decades later, a lot of troubling questions remain. You know, uh, was uh, like critics say the PNAC was waiting for their Pearl Harbor, was waiting for that opportune moment, the right sequence of events to fall into place, just like some sort of grisly game of dominoes. And it even leads the more far out uh, fringe, you could call them, questions in the crowd. Uh, it leads to more far out questions such as how far would these very powerful people go to remake the world in their vision? Here's where it gets crazy. Uh, Matt, you made a fantastic point off air um, a couple months back uh, when you we were talking about looking through our old YouTube videos. And sometimes... I forget. We have quite a lot of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, no. The, yeah. Let's go ahead and restate that here. So back in November last year, 2023, 
we noticed that our 2014 videos, we made two major ones uh, back in 2014 on our YouTube channel about the September 11 attacks. One was called 13 Burning Questions About 9-11. That's basically uh, been stating big questions that we still have about the attacks, right? And it's just kind of stating them and then setting up our next video saying we're going to spend a whole video on World Trade Center Building 7 and the collapse of that building as it is the third building that collapsed there in New York City on that day, or I guess like after the initial attacks. Um, So we made another video titled What Happened to 7 World Trade Center? And we realized you could not type into Google those titles in in quotations, which is one of the most surefire ways to find a video or any piece of content, put quotation marks around the exact title, and you can generally find something. It could not find our videos. So we searched YouTube. Those videos could not be found. Then we searched within our own YouTube channel, because there's a function there on YouTube to search for that, and they could not be found. And we realized you had to browse like by date, basically, to find them. As they were still live, they were still there, still viewable. You just wouldn't be able to find them unless you, I guess, navigated to them directly. Um, We thought that was pretty weird because together, both videos had over 330,000 views, which meant, you know, they're not viral, but they're well-viewed videos. Uh, It didn't make sense to us. And you can actually see if you go on if you go on those videos, you look at the comments, the newest comments from about starting about seven or six years, six or seven years ago. It's all about, hey, it seems like these 9-11 videos are getting scrubbed from the Internet. Can't really find them anymore. (laughs) Which is which is strange because we make no outrageous claims in those videos. And Mm. we take we take a lot of care to be as a as objective as possible in anything, but especially with that. Uh, we also, for the record, folks, we do not include any hate speech, no no vilification of um, demographics, no calls for violence, none of the usual red flags for YouTube. Also, by the way, <laughs> I think this is, this is around the same time, this is a little inside baseball, but this is around the same time uh, you and I had to take like a YouTube Academy course about the right way to do videos. Yeah, and, when we and, published them in 2014. Yeah, and we were we were going by the book very much so. If anything, a criticism you could give the two of us on that is that we were maybe overly cautious. Maybe I I don't know, but we did we did a good faith effort, and still, even now, I would argue this is indicative of a stunning and strange disconnect regarding the events of 9-11 and its aftermath uh, questioning the official narrative was portrayed as severely across the board un-American. Uh, conflicting reports, rationale, statements that came from U.S. bodies and U.S. public officials were often dismissed as fog of war. You know, don't look at the left hand. Watch what the right hand's doing. Or if those statements indeed contradicted one another in a narrative, when they came into conflict, then they were dismissed and you would just sort of choose one. And now this person misspoke or they were misinformed. History was being edited in real time. And and sometimes those claims came into conflict with facts, you know, like we mentioned, the yellow cake uranium the claims of weapons of mass destruction as evidenced by uh, uh, aluminum tubes, all of which, by the way, were later disproven. There were not uh, WMDs, at least not uh, the kind that were described to the American public. And then sweep, 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 right? Uh, Under the rug it goes. Well, yeah, it, it, it goes back to something you said, Ben. It really depends on how far you are willing to take some very on-the-surface, objectively strange coincidences and how closely you're willing to knit those together to form a larger narrative, right? Um, And how dark is that narrative that you're willing to create 
right? Because you can go through and look at the Project for the New American Century's publications, uh, specifically when they're referencing people who are in power at the time they initially gain power, and then what the Project for the New American Century wants to see happen within the White House and the Defense Department. Um, You can look this one up right now if you want to. We won't read the whole thing, but it's titled Calculating the Rumsfeld Effect. It was written by Robert Kagan, who was one of the one of the big writers there at PNAC, writing for the Washington Post. He would often write opinion pieces that would be kind of circulated by the PNAC and written by somebody who's a member, you know, of high standing. But it's written ultimately for the Washington Post. Um about specifically about how what effect Donald Rumsfeld is going to have on the overall uh, outlook of defense spending and strategy because of his new position, as well as Paul Wolfowitz. They uh, this person, Robert Kagan, refers to both both of them as missile defense hawks and then calls out Colin Powell for being a skeptic of a lot of the strategies that the PNAC and Robert Kagan want to see uh, in place. Um, they, you know, and they even call out Dick Cheney mm-hmm. and you call out like, well, how much, you know, basically how much power will Dick Cheney actually be wielding within his position at the white house, <laughs> which, which is like stuff that to me, they're writing about this stuff that feels like when we look back at the way we've created narratives about these moments in the White House, right? Uh, the movie Vice, starring Christian Bale, created by Adam McKay, you th- and thinking about Dick Cheney as more of a someone in power rather, you know, rather than vice president, probably acting more as president at times, at least. Um, and how excited this group was that that group of people was in there controlling things. It just, it makes you wonder what else was happening because we don't see it all written out right in these, these PNAC publications, but it, it does almost, it's almost like it tells a story that has a bunch of redacted pieces. (laughs) Does that make sense? So it feels like a conspiracy theory. It does. Yeah. And, and I think you hit on it, Matt, there's a narrative here and the war is it's two wars again, right? Part of the war is this uh, physical activity abroad. And another part of the war is for the hearts, minds, and opinions of the American public to support uh, some drastic changes and escalations in foreign policy. And also, you know, the thread of argument from the PNAC cohort at this time is very much a, a, an, like a, once that TV ad guy, Billy Mays, like an act now imperative, right? Now is not the time to dither and ask all these uh, what ifs and if thens. Now is the time to solve the problem. We America are in a crisis moment and therefore must act as quickly as possible. And anything that holds up that train, anything that pumps the brakes on that is anathema. It is unclean and it is against the larger mission of justice. Oh, 100%. In May 2001, uh, there's another memo that was written called the Two War Standard that is specifically talking about Donald Rumsfeld going to the White House to present a brand new blueprint directly to the president of the United States of how the U.S. military should move forward. Like Donald Rumsfeld, one of the PNAC guys that they're looking at, Basically telling the, the, not telling, let's say, um, strong, pitching. strongly pitching that this is the way things should go. And the whole point of that, of that new blueprint is that the United States has to have a number of, like, uh, a number of military personnel at various places, various ranks to be able to fight two simultaneous wars on two different battlefields, like two fronts, basically, and be victorious Handedly in both. Mm-hmm. And think about what happened. That's May 2001. And then uh, what? A, a year later? A year and a half later? Okay. 
let's say two years later, we are simultaneously fighting two major wars on two different fronts. And keep in mind, folks, for the PNAC at this juncture, uh, the vibe is that they're making up for lost time, right? Military expenditure as a percentage has is not where they want it to be, right? Neither, by the way, is uh, military enrollment or recruitment. Uh, this all changes on September 11th. Military recruitment spikes. And indeed, many uh, people tuning in tonight joined up as a result of the events of September 11th. This was the that watershed moment, that Pearl Harbor moment, the PNAC both yearned for and appeared to some to predict uh, an attack on American soil, catalyzing, unifying, promoting a strong reaction, uh, uh, an aversion to serious and difficult questions. And there was this huge increase, like you said, Matt, in military expenses. PNAC proposals are adopted, mandated, put into action at an extraordinarily swift rate. Okay, with that, we're going to take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. And we are back. Let's go back to the GDP stuff we talked about in part one. Uh, 1999, the United States spent $260 billion on defense. Let's jump to 2010. So this is after we invade Afghanistan, we invade Iraq, we fight a bunch of other little minor proxy wars in parts of the Middle East. In 2010, the United States is spending now 4.5% of GDP on defense, and that equals to $677 billion a year. I guess it's almost imaginary money. It is, but it, you know, it's like a two and a half X kind of thing where it's like, it's just a crazy amount of money. It goes from 2.7% to 4.5% um, in, in like 10 years. And it's exactly what they wanted. Yeah, the in fact they called for three point eight. Uh, by the way, they called for three point eight percent GDP spending on defense, and they got four point five. Right, right. The winds were favorable policy wise, and you know the disturbing thing about it is that very quickly the true origin of the attack became somewhat academic. Uh, the The event is what you needed. It's sort of like how you know. Um, how in Venezuela's current regime, the invasion of Guyana, if it occurs, does not have to be successful. The event simply needs to exist such that it can solidify the views of the public and tamp down on the uh, opposition. Yeah, the, the views of the public both within 
the United States or the com- the country that's going to be the aggressor, but also in the international community, because you need that thing that Bush ended up getting, the coalition of the willing, right? Mm-hmm. Of all the other uh, countries that are part of the UN, that are part of NATO, that join in and say, oh, yeah, you guys were wronged. We're going to support you, too. Yes. Yeah, agreed. And from this event then sprang the justification for war abroad and wars abroad and an almost incalculable flow of military funding. And a lot of money fell through the cracks, by the way. Shout out to that pallet of cash that just disappeared in the Middle East. Uh, And coldly put, it's a fantastic time to be part of the military industrial congressional complex that Eisenhower warned the public about so very long ago. Also in the speech, he says military industrial complex, but in his original draft, as we pointed out before, he had the phrase military industrial congressional complex. And uh, that last word got cut out. Well, and let's not forget things like the Patriot Act that were passed solidifying of power in very different ways than the United States was used to, right? About what what U.S. military forces can do, what intelligence forces can do, where they can act, how they can act, what the U.S. civilians are going to be subjected to. Your uh, rights to uh, your your rights to uh, privacy or yeah. your lack thereof, expansion of a surveillance state that continues today. And we're in that moment of that a tremendous fear. Anger, right? Like all of these things that the general population is feeling because of these horrendous, horrifying attacks, something like the Patriot Act comes along and it feels like, oh, someone they're trying to protect us. And we are, you know, this is this is not only about protecting us. This is about getting justice. So we must go forward. I support that thing. Mm -hmm. Of course I do. If I didn't, I'd be un-American. Right. Yeah. Peer pressure writ large on a macrocosmic scale. Well, it's also, I, I think it's also very important for us to say that a lot of these policymakers, from their perspective, they are acting in good faith. There's not like a Monty Burns finger steepling going, yes, yes, let's well, ruin stuff. There, there are a couple, and there are the attorneys who are going through looking at the enhanced interrogation techniques. I think those guys are steepling going, but, well, that's we a, can slap their legs as hard as we can. Oh, yeah. What was it? I stand eight hours a day anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's that's also, again, that that can be attributed to mission creep and the insidious allure of the greater good argument, right? Uh, As, as we, I think as we proved pretty well in our previous series on torture, torture doesn't work. It is incredibly clear that torture does not work. Now, Calling it, you, you can, we can foist any nomenclature we want on it, call it enhanced terrog- interrogation, you know, call it non consensual interview techniques. It doesn't matter. Uh, the, the reality is, despite what various fictional shows show us, the ticking time bomb situation is relatively rare. And the people who are conducting these activities, also don't see themselves as the bad guys. It is a greater good argument. And it's also, you know, logically, it is incredibly difficult to defend yourself by saying, I stopped something from happening. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you're the person who is a minute late for the train and you have a strong feeling that the train will crash and the train doesn't crash, then you just had a weird vibe. You know, yeah. it's tough to prove that you saved lives with this. So it's just to be very fair. Again, these are not necessarily villainous people, but there is an argument that perhaps they've been, I don't want to say brainwashed, but perhaps they are disincentivized from asking some of the questions that should have been asked. Well, well here's where it gets dangerous, I think, because you can convince yourself that all of those guys are villains. If you allow yourself to go all the way and say, well, the September 11th attacks were like purposefully done or, you know, it was a false flag or it was allowed to happen and all those other things. Um, That stuff is, at least to my knowledge and all of the research we have done, I have not seen any kind of smoking guns that say any of that stuff is true. I have what I have seen is that that instance 
that moment, those attacks became used. A very useful thing for the folks at the PNAC and the what you would just what you would describe as war hawks, the people who want uh, the war machine to grow larger, that want the United States to be the ideological hegemon. Um, it was a useful thing, uh, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, I'm with you on the smoking gun stuff, Matt. The I'm also in agreement 100% with the opportunism. Opportunism there can be proven. I mean, look, the pieces for the PNAC goals were, as we established in part one, they're all over the place. Numerous statements, memos, documents, you name it. Uh, for example, before the PNAC blueprint emerged, and again, this is all pre-9-11, there was an earlier document co-authored by Wolfowitz that said, uh, you could kind of say he said the quiet part out loud, but they weren't being quiet. They were being very forthright, honestly. Uh, this this paper that Wolfowitz ha- writes says in part, quote, the U.S. must discourage advanced industrial nations from challenging our leadership or, this is key, even aspiring to a larger regional or global rule. The idea oh. is that if you allow, right, the today's regional power may become tomorrow's uh, global super opponent. Reminds me of Libya. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, uh, Libya and Gaddafi got put down as 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 the facts would later prove. Uh, Gaddafi was taken down uh, due to French concerns about currency control. But that didn't come out in a lot of the speeches at the time. Dude, we didn't even mention – I'm looking at this ABC News article that's mentioning this stuff, and there are, there are other people involved here that we didn't even mention in part one. There are a ton. Uh, Richard Armitage, who was mm-hmm. the Secretary of State for a while. John Bolton, who mm-hmm. has played a large role. Not – not wait, hold on. Not Michael Bolton. Not Michael Bolton. John Bolton. <laughs> the mustache. <laughs> yes. Um Oh, who was the other person? Uh, Somebody, Richard Pearl, another person who's been mentioned a whole bunch. Um, It's just, I'm getting off track, man. My mind is reeling on a lot of these things because it it does feel like there are connections to a lot of the major topics we're hitting on to all the other major topics I want to talk about in here. It feels like a blueprint for somebody who wants to build a conspiracy board. And I think that's maybe why I use that word dangerous because it does feel like you could go down this rabbit hole and not be able to find your way out. Um, I really do think you could get trapped here. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the, these papers, again, what, what they show us, these earlier statements from principals in the PNAC, what, what they show us is not necessarily conspiracy to cause a thing to happen, but they show us a group of people who are primed to react in the wake of, uh, of a horrible event and to move in step. The, the paper also goes on. This is the staircase thing we we're talking about earlier. Uh, the paper also goes on to say, look, even if Saddam is popped and is off the scene, we're going to keep those bases in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait, in the Middle East, uh, because Iran may be the next regional threat. Uh, and then they kind of treat China like the final boss yep. of some weird video game. Because that's what they end on often. And like, and on the horizon, China, the next USSR, who knows? But a regional power one day is a global power the next. And I they're, think they're can, saying to shift all of like a bunch of our resources basically to the South China Sea, to areas in uh, in China or near China, the Pacific Theater. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, and. We have to give a shout out as well to the numerous journalists, the so often ignored academics who rightly, boldly asked some uncomfortable questions and were, in some cases, were very heavily punished for it. Like, why did it seem that the president of the United States was left in the cold as some of these events unfolded, right? Who sidelines the POTUS. Uh, another thing, why did why did the CIA and the FBI seem so cartoonishly siloed? We're talking about the big dogs of intelligence. These have to, some of the 
most brilliant people in the world work for these organizations. Uh, how come there were so many red flags uh, that seemed ignored in the lead up to the events of September 11th? Is it simply, you know, again, it's perspective. Do we, as people with the benefit of retrospect, do we see things differently? I, I think I'm almost certain the answer is yes, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you, if, if you look into stuff, and this is public knowledge, if you look into various ugly leads and reports of strange things in the U.S., then what you learn very quickly is there's a lot of crazy stuff out there. And there are a lot of people reporting crazy stuff for any number of reasons. You have to cut through the noise, and it's tough to cut through that noise. Like, okay, another one. All the way back to 1996, there was squarely established intel that said there are serious plans. There are people talking about how to hit various targets in Washington, D.C. using airplanes as weapons. Yeah. 96. Yeah, 96. And that's that's well after. Well, I don't know if that's before or after the Olympics bombing. Right. That's after the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, with Timothy McVeigh, 1995. Um, It does make me wonder, Ben, how much of that kind of stuff is the same thing that the PNAC is doing, trying to figure out who the next big bad guy is going to be since the Soviets are no longer there, right? Um, And people are square. You can see it in in American media as well. We're squarely looking at Middle East, like, quote, terrorists, as like the next big bad guy, which is kind of weird, but it is what we're looking at. And there's actual intelligence showing that there are dangers uh, from s- smaller groups, right? That's really what we're looking at, like potential plans from smaller groups that would carry out some kind of attack. And these things, to be clear, these threats have to be taken seriously, mm-hmm. right? We're we're not we're not attempting to paint any of the people we've mentioned as jumping at shadows, right? There, there are real consequences and they are aware of these consequences. A lot of thought goes into this, but then how about that uh, national intelligence council report from 1999 that reiterated the same stuff. And in this case, specifically named Al Qaeda. Uh, how, how did this get missed? You know, and then there's the other guy, uh, Zacharias Musawi, uh, who, some of us may remember in August of 2001, he gets arrested because his flight instructor says this guy has a quote, suspicious interest in learning how to steer large airlines. Uh, uh, Zacharias Mosawi, by the way, uh, often thought of as the 20th of the hijackers. So why, like how, how could, how could something as plugged in as the U S intelligence uh, economy, industry, right? Collective community. How could these things be missed? Are we, I don't know. That's what I wrestle with Matt, because it's, it's so easy to look back and say the signs were all there, but if you're in the moment and you're getting thousands and thousands of reports per day, per hour, you know, then how, how can you collate and synthesize all of that? Why did the FBI turn down uh, the warrant to search Masawi's computer? I have no idea. And let's pause right there, hear a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. And we've returned. Well, let's talk about what you found in Newsweek and The Guardian and the BBC all reporting on stuff that was happening uh, uh, right around the September 11 attacks. Uh, What was this about? 15 of the hijackers got their visas in Saudi Arabia? And we then invaded Afghanistan and then Iraq? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, that's a Guardian article from 2003 by Michael Meacher. Uh, definitely a journalist with strong opinions. The headline of the article is, This War on Terrorism is Bogus, which struck a lot of people the wrong way, I think. But but they point out some very solid things, right? Like the... The accusation that since the late 80s, the CIA has been kind of off the books illegally issuing visas to applicants from the Middle East, bringing them to the U.S. for training, you know, like School of the Americas type stuff, uh, so that they like, could... Like as in guerrilla warfare kind of stuff? Yeah, so that they could... Uh, asymmetrical kind of tactics, so that they could uh, participate in the conflicts in Afghanistan. Um, and then after the Afghan war, this operation or this process seemed to continue apace. Uh, there's the Newsweek thing. I'm glad you're pointing that out. Uh, September 15th, 2001 Newsweek reported that five of those hijackers in nine 11 were trained at a secure U S military installation in the nineties. Well, it's, I mean, but what do you do with that information? I know, right? What do you do? You go, uh, okay, so that's fishy as well. Why would that occur? Maybe uh, they were yeah, they were trying to build assets for one thing, but then they did something else. Mission creep, man. It's real. I mean, maybe there's, we talked about this too in the past. Like the idea then is, pretty self-apparent right you train somebody for something when that thing is done accomplished or when it fails that training does not go away you know what i mean mm-hmm. the uh people don't get some kind of retrograde amnesia for this I, I, there are other things too you know and these these questions rightly haunt a lot of people uh, we have to be very careful, again, not to play too much red string conspiracy board stuff with this, but why did it take so long to scramble fighter planes, right, in one of the most pop- heavily populated parts of the country? Right? Uh, why Why didn't they release any footage from any of the security cameras at the Pentagon? That still bugs the heck out of me. Mm-hmm. Somebody somewhere right now, release some high-quality security camera footage from the Pentagon attack. Somebody do it because the, the like 17 frames or whatever that got released, that is not good enough. And it's certainly not the totality of, uh, of the footage for sure. And also, again, I, I keep going back to it. The U S does have one of the absolute best intelligence apparatuses on the planet. They are deeply linked, sometimes not consensually, with pretty much every other Intel operation out there. You know what I mean? Like, look, they're in my cell phone. So like, come on. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. I know. I keep trying to get Steve, the intern to play words with friends. Uh, But, but like 
How did Five Eyes miss all of these things, these things that appear to be apparent red flags? These are valid questions. Uh, we got to cite also in that Guardian article, I know you saw this, Matt, we got to cite a banger of a quote, former U.S. federal crimes prosecutor John Loftus wrote this. He said, the information provided by European intelligence services prior to 9-11 was so extensive that it is no longer possible for either the CIA or FBI to assert a defense of incompetence. Those, those are very heavy words. Those are words you have to be careful with, you know? Wow. And again, that's just one guy saying that, right? Uh, but it is, it is someone who is familiar with law enforcement operations, a, a former federal crimes prosecutor, and not not a guy who is a quack by any means, you know, not just yeah. some dude on 4chan posting anonymously. It's the storm is coming. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry. Oh gosh. Sorry. Oh no. <laughs> quick, quick questions. Right. Q. Oh man. Uh so I guess, you know, one of the things we have to get to there's a lot we might not get to tonight, but one of the things we have to get to is what we mentioned in part one, the PNAC. And, and Matt, as as we had noted, this was a officially short-lived enterprise, active 97 to 2006. Some people will say, um, some people will say that the public may overestimate the amount of influence the PNAC actually had. Uh, one thing's for sure, as as you said, the number doesn't work. If you go to the building where the PNAC was, you will not see it. But the building's far from abandoned. No, there's other people there. But let's talk about that. When they were up and running, uh, what did you say, 97 to 2006? Mm-hmm. When they were up and running, you could get from their headquarters to the White House, park and be inside, like five, six minutes. You could walk directly from there in 15 minutes. It was immediately close to the White House, the way a lot of lobby, like major lobbyist groups and think tanks are. But just thinking about what that means for access to both people in the White House and, you know, people in Congress. Shout out to K Street, by the way. You remember that TV series? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, got, it got canceled by congressional request. It's a satire about the lobbying industry, <laughs> and uh, it's really good. It's a little too close to home. You know, I was trying good. to be that that uh, was that Louisiana guy. That uh, I, I was getting some tarnation vibes. No, he's a guy who, who was working with Clinton a whole bunch. Ross, Perot. you know, no, uh. <laughs> no, it's not Ross. Perot. He's a major political guy. I can't think of. His oh, the name. Uh, former Marine guy, shaved head. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh gosh. Jimmy. Jim something. Uh, Carville. James Carville. James Carville. <laughs> Put some respect on his name. Yeah, he's in there. <laughs> and he's a, he's, uh, he is, uh, he, he actually has a really charming on air presence. Oh, I, know. I would say. Yeah. I think so too. But the guy, he knows how to play the dirty games, man. And he did. Mm, he sure did. I mean, it is a, Dirty game. You know what I mean? You can't be an Olympic swimmer and expect not to get wet. To butcher a weird analogy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll keep it. Sorry, everyone. But uh, uh, so, okay, Matt, you found something really interesting that I think think more people should know. What is in this building? And what, oh. what, what's the building itself? Right? Oh, it, shoot. I can't remember this part, Ben. I, I talked with you about this and I haven't thought about it since then. Uh, oh. 17th Street, right? That's yes. where it was. Uh, and you had, you, had this, you had this great list you found of multiple other organizations. Oh, <laughs> nuts. Okay, I think I've got it here. Uh, oh, I remember the Order of Malta is there, which is something we've talked about in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Super exclusive passports, those guys. I want one so bad. Oh yeah, exactly. Uh speaking of speaking of lobbying and stuff, the there's what is it called? The Uni- United Steelworkers. They they are it's their legislative and policy department. So, you know, that's a a huge guild basically there that they're gonna go and lobby and they're just five minutes from the White House. Um 
What else? Oh, the National Council on U.S.-Arab Relations. The NCUSAR.org, that's their website. Um, thought that's an interesting thing to have. They're in the same building, right, that once <laughs> yeah. housed this place that was like, we are going to attack Iraq and any other country that tries to, you know, buck at the United States. Hmm. Um, and there's something else. Oh, SKNA structural engineers, which probably has nothing to do with any of this, but it made me think about uh, 9-11, en- what is it? Engineers, something in engineers for truth. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, also, I, I mean, that that one I didn't recognize. I'm going to be fully transparent here. As soon as I saw the order of Malta, like, some kind of Ennio Morricone action music started playing in my head. And I was like, to the internet, you know, (laughs) yeah. see what these connections are. Um, And perhaps that's one of the, you know, the dangers or example of the danger that you described here, which is the, the way leading on to way, if this is true, then what does it mean? How does it connect to these other things? I think Washington DC is just so cool, man. Um, that doesn't really have a place in this conversation, but it's also a tremendously expensive place to live. Like each of those buildings or each of those organizations in those buildings, can you imagine what they're paying on their lease, on their rent? Where does the money come from? Where does the money go? Why is this suddenly a Cotton Eye Joe reference? I don't understand it. Dude, I don't know. I'm going back. I'm going back to Robert Kagan, one of the founders of the PNAC yeah. that we talked about in the first episode. Yeah, yeah. This is something he wrote. In the Washington Post, again, this is back in February 2000. The title is The Biggest Issue of All. This is during the election, the 2000 election, right? He says, this is just so interesting to me. Voters are defying truisms about the political salience of foreign policy, just as they are ignoring truisms about taxes. Even with no Soviet Union to worry about, They want to know how a candidate would fare as commander-in-chief, which is a really interesting idea to me. Even if there is no big bad guy, ideological bad guy out there, voters when electing a president want to know how that person is going to fare when they have to put on, you know, take the gloves off and go to war, basically. How is this person going to protect me? Um which feels like we're in that kind of same spot right now when it when the world feels to be preparing for some big calamity, right? That's going to be imposed with weapons that we've designed and built by weapons manufacturers that percentages of GDP have helped support. Um I do it does make me weirded out that we're headed into this time again where in this country we have to choose who's up again, you know? Right. Also, also, we should point out that there is validity to American force projection, which not everybody likes to hear, but uh, the U.S. protects global shipping routes. The global shipping economy works because the U.S. Navy and Air Force enforce it. And I don't know. I think at, at this point... You know, what we clearly see is people who felt they were on the right side of history, felt that they were making the hard decisions. And indeed, by the time 2001 rolls around, uh, the Kagans of the world feel that they have been shouting the same message, the same warning sign or the same, you know, warning for years and years. And they maybe don't necessarily want to be right but they feel that they are realistically dealing with threats in kind of a, I hate to say it, man, but again, a greater good argument. The idea being that you have to, you have to factor in some ugly things, some attrition in order to successfully complete the larger aim. And, and their argument again is Their argument is a powerful America makes for a safer America and a safer America makes for a safer world. Now, is that true? History has yet to, history has yet to bear out completely on this. And I, I, 
I hate that I agree with you on, on the global vibe. You know, certain situations are untenable, non-sustainable, and in a very real way, billions of people seem to be kind of expecting a shoe to drop at some point. Yeah, but who, who, I guess the thing I wonder about is who is representing this group now? So all the, the individuals we mentioned who were a big part of the Project for New American Century, they aren't as much in the spotlight these days. Um, I mean, there, you could, there's an Al Jazeera article you can read right now. It's titled, Decades After 9-11, What Became of the U.S.'s Neoconservatives? It was written by Chris Moody in September of 2021. You can find that right now, and it goes over a few of the you know, different leaders and where they are and what's going on in their lives. Um, but really, like, who represents that these days? I do not know. And what does that group of people want to do? Well, how do they see a way out of situations where it feels like a bunch more aggression maybe isn't the right way to go? Right, right. Uh, hammers are good solutions when the problem is nails. But what happens when the problem changes? Right? Yeah. You might need new tools. I'll tell you, uh, here's what it sounds like, Matt. It sounds like what we can say for sure is that a powerful group of people banded together to push by hook or by crook for U.S. intercession and escalation in Iraq as part of a step in a larger plan. We can't say that we have to stay away from assigning like comic book level supervillainy to real people who did, it seems, leverage an opportunity. I have one of my, uh, one of my favorite pieces of research for this comes, comes directly from you, my friend. Uh, and I have a question. Okay. Uh, you should, you should go on conversations with Bill Crystal and ask it. <laughs> oh, I think this is one that, that you, you and I can, uh, can slice up here. Okay. What are we getting at the Oxford Cafe when we go? Oh, dude, it's right. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> oh, man. If you're listening to this, <laughs> I'm going there for sure. And I'm going to be – I'm gonna just going to be observing, and Ben is just going to be watching from the other side of the cafe. It's going to be awesome. Let's only and speak a code words. We're going to put Noel. Uh, he's going to be a barista for the day, and he's just going to watch what everybody orders. <laughs> I mean – a pastrami sandwich for six forty nine. That's not too bad, you know. Wait, are you serious? Yeah, that's I great. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, so, shout out to Oxford Cafe and thank you for finding that, Matt. Um, one of the things you mentioned was like, can you imagine? You said how many people from these various organizations just like drop by there for their breakfast burrito, yeah, or, or their six fifty pastrami? God, just grab that. a coffee, man. That's so weird. Uh, uh, that's why Washington really does freak me out. And it's not its not for the elected officials that you might see. It's for the people that you cannot recognize. You've never seen them before in your life, but they wield in some sm soft way more power than anyone in Congress. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely agreed. You know, real power is silent pretty often, right? Uh, and, and with this... Um, you know, we've we've posed a lot of questions. We knew this could go in a thousand different directions, and it's a conversation that continues. Um, and it's a conversation that we would love to have our fellow conspiracy realists join. Please let us know. You know, let us know about everything we've discussed, especially if you have firsthand experience. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and if you have been to the Oxford Cafe, <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting the, the hangry hungers right now. If you have been to the Oxford Cafe, tell us about the pastrami. Uh, super interested in that in particular. <laughs> uh, amongst other things, uh, thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. Uh, we, we have already, Matt, I think we've set up several episodes in the future. Uh, we want you to be a part of those folks. Find us on Instagram, YouTube, uh, Twitter, or X, uh, and while you're sipping those social meads, do check out some of our short form videos that we have done. We love to do these. Thank you to everybody who dropped by our Instagram earlier and said stuff like, 
you guys told me to be here, so I'm here. <laughs> Thanks, Which is guys. so, so wonderful and, and helpful and awesome. It's he said real sarcastically. Real damaker, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if, you um, don't, if you don't sip social meats, we 100% get it. Uh, we do have other ways to contact us. Absolutely. Call one eight three three stdwytk When you call in, you've got three minutes. Give yourself a cool nickname and let us know if we can use your voice and message on the air. If you if you don't want us to use it, just say we, you don't want us to. And that's fine. We will always listen to your message. Just like we will always read your email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.